Okay, so hopefully everybody has a study sheet. Um, do we not, if you have one from last week, use that one. Does anyone have theirs from last week that we can donate to others? Or does everybody have one? Okay. Does everybody have one? We good? Okay. All right, I was thinking we didn't have some for somebody. Got it. Okay, good. All right. So we're just going to do a quick review because we had to bust through the last part of the lesson from last week because uh, we just did not have enough time. We watched a couple videos, um, which kind of showed us the characteristic. But what we're going to be doing each week, in case you've missed the past couple Wednesdays, is we're going out of uh, Revelation chapter 3. Let's go ahead and turn there, Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about Laodicea. And just as a quick review, where does Laodicea sit within the timeline of human history? Jack. Right <laughs> We have a genius among us. <laughs> it's right now. Jack the genius. All right. So <laughs> I love you, Jack. There is no one like you. Jesus loves you so much. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yes, right now is Laodicea, but when, what do we talk about? We talked about something out of Daniel. Seven. Seven. Yes, we have the 70-week prophecy. And so you have the 70-week prophecy to fulfill everything within human history. That's straight out of Daniel chapter 9. God lays out there's a 70-week prophecy to finish pretty much all of humanity and take care of sin once and for all, which he did on the cross, but he's going to make a finality of it when he judges it once and for all. And that's the Daniel um, passage where it talks about the 70-week prophecy. But then we found out because of church history that there is a parenthesis in the 70-week prophecy. And that would be the, the church age, which there are seven periods of the church age. Now, we don't know exactly how long each of them are per se, but we know that there are seven because there are seven letters to each church in Revelation 2 and 3. Now that we are on the tail end of all that, thank you, Jack, right now being Laodicea, um, we can look back through the events of history, compare them with what the Bible says in Revelation 2 and 3, and we can find out how long each period approximately lasts. But God does not give a, a distinct timeline as to how long the church age is going to be. We just know that it exists. And the end of Laodicea is what? The rapture, the rapture of the church. When the church is called out of here, and that is the end of the Laodicean church period, and then that begins the tribulation period. All right. When did it start? Approximately early, like late 1800s, early 1900s. We usually use about 1900 as the, uh, you know, start date. Yeah, yeah. And it correlates with the almost close to the publication of the Revised Standard Version, which is 1881. So it's close to there. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of history with that. But that's, there's, there's some awesome, awesome details of church history in there. So we're talking about the Laodicean church period. More has happened in the last 100 years than has happened in a long time in human history. And a lot of it is because of technological advancements. Um, things have just gotten worse and worse and worse. So um, but, but that's why we need to talk about it, because this day and age is something that we need to make sure that we have, uh, really, that we understand this. And the other thing that I, I, I wanted to bring to your attention, and we talk about this each week, is that when we talk about these characteristics, it's very easy for us to point the finger where? At there, at other churches, at the world, at our schools, at the political system, it's very easy to point our finger there when we don't realize that we are the Laodiceans. This letter is written to you and to me, not necessarily to them out there. This is written to you and me. So even though we have a good church, we believe the Bible, we preach the Bible, we probably do more work in the work of the Lord than most churches in the area. And I'm not saying that bragging, it's just the truth because of discipleship. 
we still fail and we still do not do the job that we should be doing. If you were to take a step back in human history into the Philadelphian church period, which is the one right before us, and you were to step foot in those churches, you would probably be the weakest among them. I would probably be one of the weakest among them. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You read some of the stories of these guys and these ladies that went across the world and gave their lives to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, you would be embarrassed, which is why it's good for us to read their stories and to read the accounts that they wrote of their lives and the events and everything, because it's very sobering. Have any of you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs or the Martyr's Mirror? You should. You should. It's free. It's online. You can look up Fox's Book of Martyrs and you can read it free online and you will see account after account after account of men, women, and families that gave their lives for the gospel. Just for holding, just for holding a copy of the scriptures. We struggle with getting in the Bible every day. They were being put to death for having a copy. That's how far removed we are. So... We live in perilous times, and I know, and I know, and I believe firmly in my heart that when we get to heaven, and we talk with Paul, and we talk with all the other disciples that were around during, you know, 60 AD and, and, and the early church and all that, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to come up to us, and this is what they're going to say. Like, we're going to go to them, we're going to say, how'd you do it? That was amazing. But you know what they're going to say to you and I? How did you not do it? No. They're going to say, how did you do it? Because we live in perilous times. Think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but you need to think about it this way. God put you at this moment in church history. Not back then, not 200 years ago, now. In the most perilous time in human history to do the work of the Lord. Which means you're able to do it. You're able to live successfully and do the work that they couldn't. So don't think for a moment that you're somehow less special than they are, even though I tend to think that, and even though I just said that. I, you need to think of this differently. Just because we live in a church age that fails in the end doesn't mean you have to fail. God put you here for you to be successful. And so it's not an excuse to slack off and to do things our own way and just be selfish because, well, that's Laodicea. No, 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 don't do that. Just recognize that and realize that God put you here so you are able to overcome this. You're able to do better. You are. So, all right, so we spent some time talking about uh, all that, but let's go ahead and read through Revelation 3. I'm going to read through the letter one more time, and I want to talk about my personal rights, review a little bit. But then I want to spend some time talking about how can we overcome, because God gives a specific recipe at the end of this on how we can overcome, what do we need to do to overcome the shortcomings that we have. Um, I'm going to show at least one, maybe two of the funny videos that I had, um, because the two that we showed last week were very political, and we talked about the political correctness of the message, which was, it wasn't at all. Um, but we spent some time talking about some of those things and, that, and how that affects our church age mentality. All right, so let's go ahead and read this. Revelation 3, verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, when thou art cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. 
As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Okay, so the biggest problem that we have is verse 17. Now we're lukewarm for sure. We're not cold or hot. And to that point, let me just ask you, we're going to get to that point a little bit later, but let me just ask you something. How does something become lukewarm? It sits still out in the open air and it becomes lukewarm. So in order to take something that's lukewarm and make it hot or cold, what do you need to do? Freeze it or burn it. Freeze it or burn it, yes. Put it over a fire or put it in the freezer or the refrigerator. So you have to put it in something in order for it to become cold or hot. Now, cold things have a purpose, right? When you get hurt or maybe you strain a muscle or something like that, you want an ice pack. My kids tend to want ice packs for everything because that's how they are. So, and then it's, it's like if I want to make coffee in the morning or if I want to make tea, but mostly coffee, I've got to heat up the water in order to make coffee. You can't make coffee out of lukewarm water and you can't feel better about your boo-boos if you have lukewarm ice packs. It doesn't make any sense, right? Okay, so that's our problem. We allow ourselves to sit still in the open air of this world and you begin to take on the attributes of your surrounding environment. That's what we do. And you have no purpose. When you do that, you have no purpose. And so in order to do differently and to be someone that actually has purpose, you need to remove yourself from that environment and put yourself in the freezer or the refrigerator or on the stove. Now, which one, as far as the temperature, which one um, changes their temperature the fastest? Refrigerator, freezer, or stove? The stove. Now, most people do not like the fires of persecution, right? And they don't like to go near to God, who's also a consuming fire, but it is the quickest way to change your state. So there's some great devotional applications there. If you take nothing else away from that tonight, take that. But we're lukewarm. We think we're fine when we're not. And that's what verse 17 says. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased the goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Especially us in the United States, we live in a state, and Megan and I talk about this a lot, even with our own kids, we really don't have need of anything. We don't. We're concerned with our wants. I want this. I want that. Most of you on a daily basis are never concerned about your needs. Ever. You have food. You have a place to live. You have clothes. You guys have more than what you need. So we get concerned about our, our wants. And that's our problem. And so because of that, because of our prosperity, we don't realize how desperate we really are because God looks at us spiritually and he says, you have no idea that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. You have no idea. So that's our problem. So uh, it's kind of a, a funny video that I found on this one. I wanted to show you guys this. Um, and it's John Christ. You guys love John Christ. I love him. He's hilarious. Uh, but we're going to watch one of his and then we're going to watch another one that actually is hilariously related to this example. Church. 
by choosing a church building that meets your needs? Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, the great time, the connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select the right for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected the Pentecostal service, always stand in front of your mattress. <laughs> Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Oh my gosh. See, the sad part is, this is hilarious. Um, the reason why he makes the money he makes as a comedian is because of Laodicea. Yeah. It's true. Let's stop that. Okay. So, I wanted to show you guys that because that's hilarious, right? No, thank you. But now I want to show you this one because this this was actually the next one that started to come up. Because I saw that, but then I saw this. Okay. This is legit, by the way. There is a church that exists in virtual reality only. Hey everyone, my name is DJ Soto. I'm the lead pastor of Virtual Reality Church, one of the first churches to ever exist in VR, and we wanted to give you a tour of our church. God's hands are always open to you and the lesson of the thief was it's never never too late this is something extremely unique and special and this time right now is an amazing time to be involved because it's it's happening really for the first time virtual reality baptism yeah in a virtual reality swimming pool Instead of having everyone come to uh, our traditional uh, church, they're going to come here to this space, and uh, we will have a, a water baptism uh, in, in, in virtual reality. Yeah. So now, now here's now here's the other side of this because here's what some people would say: um, this is a way for people all across the world to have a church to go to when they don't have their own church. 
that's about the only good you can say about it. Because outside of that, I'm pretty sure when you read through the book of Acts, like God never had an intention of a virtual reality church. Because what does social media do? When you, when you disconnect from physical face-to-face communication, what does it do to people? Yeah, it can give you depression for sure. Yeah, but it also gives you a false sense of so many things. And you guys have heard about this because now at least the schools, and I'm thankful that the schools are doing this, but they're at least they're pushing stuff with you guys about when you post stuff on social media and, you know, the likes that you get and, the, and, all, the, and, the, and all the problems that it's causing. They're, they're really, I mean, they're right. They're absolutely right. And we can laugh at this stuff, but at the same time, at the same time, this is what's going on. And so this is kind of the, okay, we're pointing the finger out there, but let's take a minute and point it right back at us. How does this affect us? Let me just give you a couple examples. This leads us to, okay, well, if I read my Bible today, then I'm a good Christian. And some people might say, well, at least I read my physical Bible and not my iPad. Is that really true? No. What makes a good Christian? Yes. That you actually do what God says, that you're a legitimate disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So being a Christian has nothing to do with these checklists or these, I attend church, you know, twice a week, three times a week. I'm involved. I go on Sunday morning to Sunday school and then the main service and I come on Wednesday and then I meet with my discipler once a week and then I go to activities every month. No, not all. You can do all those things and completely fail in what God has told you to do. I've told you guys this many times. Your success as a Christian doesn't happen on Sunday morning. It doesn't happen on Wednesday nights. It doesn't happen when you meet with someone for discipleship. It happens during all the other times you're alive. Because that's really where everything comes down to. Am I going to obey? Am I going to obey? Am I going to obey what God has told me to do? It's not enough just to know what God said. You have to actually do what God said. And so because we live in this type of an environment of my personal rights, and we are, you know, especially in the social media realm and the virtual reality realm and whatever other nonsense there is out there, we have developed this mentality of, well, as long as I understand what God has said, then I'm good. And that's not true. And I have fallen short of that many, many times. Many times. So... We spent some time talking about last week, 2 Timothy 3, and the characteristics of this age. We talked about my personal rights, and we talked about some of the other things there too. And so, um, and so we, we talked a little bit about how this, this whole attitude has impacted our church age and individually as Christians. And there's many, many things we could look into it. But the big thing is, is because this age is defined by my personal rights, and so we're going to be on the back side of your guys' study sheet. Because this age is defined as my personal rights, then here's what typically happens. Um, People will come to church. They will be convicted by messages. They will be convicted by people that they come in contact with. Or like let's say someone uh, talks to you about something and you know you're not living right and – and, and you know that you need to change and you're convicted by it because you have this conversation with this person. But then when you leave their presence, you do nothing about it. There's nothing. Like you acknowledge the fact that, that they are right and that you're not living right with God. But at the end of it all, you actually don't do anything about it. That's the age in which we live. And so we have to overcome this. And so what I want to spend some time talking about this evening is how can we overcome and be found obedient to the Lord? God says it's possible, but I want to talk about how. And I want to talk about each one of these. And then I want to talk about um, like how practically we can actually do it. All right. So the first thing is we're in Revelation 3. 
So he says, after verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now there's a colon after this. So he's going to expound from that thought. Because you say this, and you don't realize how you actually are, now he's going to give you, how do I overcome this? The first thing that he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Now, the first thing that he addresses in verse 17 is because thou sayest, I am rich. And then the first thing he says against it is, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. So we think we're rich when we're really not. And so he's telling you to exchange what you think makes you valuable, makes you rich in this world, makes you prosperous in this world. Exchange it for something. And it's a different type of a gold. You might have possession, this gold that you have, whatever it is, something worldly that makes you feel very, very important. And God says, I want you to exchange that and I want you to get actual gold. But it says something very specific. Gold what? Tried in the fire, all right? Let's look up a couple verses. Let's go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 7. Hold your spot in Revelation. Go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1. And I want you to see this. 1 Peter 1. In verse 7. Someone read that. First Peter 1 7. I go ahead, no, you got it. There's a trial of your faith being much more precious than a fool to perish it, though it be tried with fire, but be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is this? What is this gold with fire? What is it? Good. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that at the judgment seat of Christ. Absolutely. All the things that you do with the right motives and the right heart attitude, if it's tried by fire and it remains, then it becomes part of your reward. And then specifically, what else we got? Yeah. Your faith. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, which is what Jack was talking about. So let's break this down for a second. So this gold, he, he says, buy gold that has been tried by the fire. So this is faith. So what is faith? Give me a biblical definition of faith. There's a couple places in the Bible that you would go to. Okay, believing without seeing. What verse is that? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Is it John? Nope. Romans. Romans. 10? 8. 9. 8 plus... <laughs> Eight plus nine. 17. 17. 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when you hear the word of God and then you do it, you have faith. It's not hearing the word of God and just believing it. It's what we just talked about. It's when you hear the word of God and then you actually do it. Now, when you do the word of God, guess what's going to happen? Let's, let's just make this very practical because it says... The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Okay? What does that mean? That when you have faith, you hear the word of God, you believe it, then you do it, then what happens in your life? Grow. You can grow, absolutely. But what's going to happen? What's, the, what's the, one of the first things that's going to happen? You hear God's word, you obey it, and then what happens? Feel rich. Resistance. Resistance. Absolutely. If you take any moving vehicle, 
and it begins to go, you automatically have wind resistance. Automatically. So this world is standing still, per se. It's not really standing still, but it's standing still. But then as you begin to move against it, how many of you have ever walked through a river or a body of water that's coming against you? Isn't that difficult? I remember being at Kalahari and you're in the wave pool. Have you ever tried to stand still in the wave pool? If you're not ready for it, it's like, I mean, you're under and you're gone. (laughs) But if you're standing still and you're ready for it, you're able to resist against it. But after a while, I mean, it just keeps coming against you and coming against you. I remember even trying to swim in choppy water out in the ocean or out in the lake, out in Lake Erie. That's hard. That's really hard. I remember falling out of a raft when I've been whitewater rafting. Try swimming upstream. It's not going to happen. So whenever you begin to follow God in obedience, which means you're going to disobey the world because you're obeying God, there's going to be resistance that comes against you and your faith is going to be tested. And there's one or two things that are going to occur when that happens. What's going to occur when you get resisted? Fail or succeed. Okay. And if you try to do it on your own strength and your own might and your own willpower, it's not going to happen. But if you do it, like if there's somebody in front of you, like let's say you're walking through a body of water and there's someone in front of you who's a lot stronger and a lot bigger and you follow exactly in their footsteps right behind them, what does it do? It cuts down on the resistance and you're able to follow them through it. And that's exactly what it means to follow God. God never told you to walk the Christian life alone. Are you kidding me? It's impossible. You can't walk against the course of this world on your own. You will fail every single time. You need to follow God's lead. So what did God do? What did he tell you? I don't know, read his word and he'll tell you exactly what to do and you can follow in his footsteps. It's really not difficult. We make it very difficult. So here your faith is being tested. It's being tried. And the only way it's going to come out to be gold is if you actually do what God said. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you're supposed to buy gold. So this means in your life, that these things that you, that you think make you very prosperous, that give you purpose in life, that gives you success in this life, that means nothing. And you need to exchange that for that which God will give you, and that is true faith by hearing him and obeying him. And this could be many different things in your guys' lives. It could be, like in my life, I remember, I, I've gone through several seasons of this, but I remember... Um, I was always really, really good at sports and I was really, really good at certain subjects in, 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 uh, in school and I was really good at music. And I found myself that, that my purpose, were, they were in those things. And so I felt like the direction of my life was going to be built around those particular, those, those venues, those avenues. And what I really realized was I needed to come to the place where I needed to be like, okay, it's not about what I want. What does God want me to do? Because I know who I am, and I think this is what I want, but God, what do you want me to do? And I've shared the story with you guys about how I came really close to pursuing a music career where I was going to move down to Nashville. And ironically, I was just going through some of my notes, and I found my notes from this, from this uh, um, session that I went to where I actually competed uh, with the recording studio. They put this thing on, and they invited me to come down to Nashville, and I was going through all my notes. And they had a guy from Sparrow EMI Records who came in and talked to us about the business, and he talked to us about you know, stage presence and, and vocal training and, and all this stuff and, then I, and about the industry and everything. I mean, I had all, it was like the launching pad into that part of my life. And I was like so close to just taking the leap and starting to go do that. But I just really wasn't at peace about it. And I began to search the scriptures and like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about. And this is something that I would really want to do. 
but what do you want me to do? And I came to the point where I'm like, no, that's, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. I think he wants me to pursue this particular venue of my life. And I started going and pursuing an education and being a teacher. And when I started pursuing my education and being a teacher, God really hit me with stuff that I was working through. I was really struggling with, if I'm a teacher, then I have, I've got to do this, this, and this. But I'm going to have a hard time with all these things. And then my teacher, who is at a secular college, my professor, he's like, have you ever thought about ministry? And I'm like, duh. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's exactly what God wants me to do because that fits. So then I transferred all my stuff over and I got my Bible degree and I started getting involved in our church and, I start, and God started opening up all these doors with working at a place full time and raising enough money uh, to ha- start having a family and to get married. And then I was in the junior high for almost six, seven years. And then God opened up the door for me to come on staff full time and I started teaching adults for a year. And then after that, I came in here and it's just been like one thing after another. God's just, yep, 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 yep. But my pattern in my life is when I've tried to do something, he always slammed that door shut. So in order for me to have biblical faith, I needed to take the things that were very precious to me, that that were my purpose, my intent, my life, and I had to lay those out and say, all right, God, if you want to take them, take them. If you want me to do this, then show me because I want to do what you want me to do. And then I had to sit back and I had to wait for him to start opening and closing doors. So even though I had a talent to sing and I started writing music and I had recording studios, they were calling me and, and wanted me to come down. And even though I was halfway decent with sports and I, there's a certain thing where I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? So this is very important for you guys at your age because the decisions that you make over the next two, three, four, five years are going to determine the course of your future. And you don't want to make a decision and then go back and be like, oh, I should have done things better. I should have done it differently. Talk to God about it. What does he want you to do? I was just talking to one of our, our the, the singles that, it was Carly. I remember I was talking to Carly. She was struggling with the decision uh, down in Florida. And I said, you know, at this time in my life, I really had to talk to God about what should I do, God? And I said, and keep in mind that God is always going to work in and through your local church. He's going to direct your life in and through your local church. And I don't mean that to be some weird ecclesiastical type thing. I'm not saying that at all. It's just true. When you get discipled and you start serving in church, you start to find out the things that you're good at. You start to get in line with God's will. You start doing the things that God wants you to do. And then it begins to direct your future based on those things. It hurts my heart when I see so many graduate, go off to school without any consideration of, is there a good local church where I'm going? And I've seen so many students that are now not really all that strong, involved in churches that are really not all that strong, and they're not doing as much as they could be doing for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that they're not in the center of God's will. That's between them and God. But I've seen it, and now my heart hurts because I know what they could have had. And it's just, it's not what it could be. So God wants you to buy gold. That means true faith is going to be tested. That means that you need to hear God and do what he says. And as you hear God and you do what he says, he will bless you and he will direct you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. It is very easy, but too many people don't want God to direct their path. They lean on their own understanding and they go their way because I bet you, most of them, a lot of them, don't want to ask God because when they ask God, God is going to tell them something different. 
and it's not what they want, but they don't realize that that's actually what they do want, they're fooling themselves. They're self-deceived. Laodiceans. Okay, so that's the first thing is to buy gold. Second thing is to buy white raiment. So back in Revelation 3, it says, Counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So we're walking around naked. It's like the king, the king with no clothes. Remember that old parable, that kid's story where the guy comes in and says that he's got the magical thread and he can knit him the most beautiful garments imaginable, fit for any king or queen. And yet it's nothing and he's just conning the guy. So he walks around, walks around the kingdom completely naked and everybody's embarrassed to tell the king, oh, he's naked, he's naked. And they're like, oh, beautiful, beautiful garments. And then you have a little kid that goes, mom, why is he naked? And it just shuts everything down. That's like what happens in Laodicea. Everyone's like, oh, that's so awesome. That's great. Oh, they're so godly. They're so godly. They're walking with the Lord. I want to be like them. And then you have a little kid who's very simple in their faith. Why aren't they walking with God? I mean, honestly, that's kind of what it's like today. We think we're okay when we're not. So we need to buy white raiment. What is white raiment in the Bible? All right, Revelation 3, verse 5. So just back a little bit, a few verses, chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, in this period of church history, which is Sardis, which is from about 1,000 to 1,500 A.D., so right in the midst of the Dark Ages, it says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name in the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Okay, so there is another thing where it says white raiment. And it's a man that overcomes during that period in church history. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. So I want to read that one. 4-4. Four, four. Go ahead, Sam. And round, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Okay, so there you've got the four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders, and they were clothed with this white raiment. So it's something that people were clothed with, and obviously they're in the presence of God, so that's something that's really good. And then uh, take a look at uh, Matthew 17, Matthew 17, 2, and someone do Matthew 28, 3. Matthew 28, 3. Everyone else go to 17. Matthew 17. All right, go ahead and do Matthew 17 and verse 2. Verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. And so this is the transfiguration of Jesus. So when Jesus was glorified before them, his raiment was white as the light. So that is the glorified Jesus Christ with white raiment. So that is holiness and that is righteousness. So tell me, how are you going to adorn yourself with holiness and righteousness? Because that's what Jesus says. I counsel thee to buy me gold and white raiment. Anybody got an idea? What do you got to do to clothe yourself with righteousness? Be holy. Be holy. Which means make what? 
Once, never mind. Okay, all right. Make good decisions. He took the words right out of Andy's mouth. That's what he says all the time. Make good decisions, right? I mean, it really does come down to that. I had a conversation with Lucas today, this morning, and he started having a bad attitude. I'm like, listen, Lucas, do you want to have a good day? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, then you need to make good decisions. Your day is completely dependent upon your attitude and the decisions that you make. And if you make good decisions, you're going to have a good day. If you make bad decisions, you're going to have a bad day. Very simple. But somehow we forget that. And it's the same thing with the Lord. Look at Colossians. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And while we're turning there, listen to the Matthew 28. Go ahead, Ailey. Yep, so there it is. And that was actually just after he was risen from the dead. So that's another one. All right, so look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Take a look at this. Making good decisions. Colossians 3. All right, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. There it is. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off. Take these things off. All these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That's unrighteousness. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity... All these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Put off put on. The moment you get saved, you have a choice to make. You can either keep on the old man and walk in his ways, or you can put on the new man. Which one are you going to do? You're going to put on the old man? Those old garments? Have you ever had clothes that you've worn for like a week and they smell rank? You continue to wear those clothes and you're going to turn some people's heads. Right? Not for good. (laughs) Not for good. Because you stank. Or you can put on some new garments. And that's what you got to do spiritually. You need to stop behaving like who you used to be and start behaving like who you are. If any of you have been listening to Tony Godfrey's podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's been going through Romans 6, 7, and 8. He's talking about all these things. All of them. And it's very simple. We as Christians, for whatever reason, we want to keep acting like who we used to be rather than being who we actually are. And it's ridiculous. We're not willing to put off the old man. All right, the next point here. You need to anoint our eyes with eye salve, which means you need to believe the Bible. You need to believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Uh, For this one, let's go to, um, let's see here. Let's go to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. 
First John 2. First John chapter 2. In verse 27. So this is talking about the Holy Spirit, which at the moment of salvation now abides in you and will be with you forever, as it says in John. But 1 John 2, 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So this Spirit of God that lives inside of you is going to be convicting you daily. Now, the more you're in the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit's going to be able to use the Bible to convict you and to bring you into obedience. The less you're in the Bible, the less the voice of God is going to be able to convict you. Now, he'll still convict you, and he'll still make you feel super bad about the stuff you're doing. But the more you're in your Bible, the more he's able to help you and to correct you. That's why you need to be memorizing verses. That's why you need to be in the Bible daily. It will help you, help you, help you. But you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve. I mean, you guys know this just from your daily walk with God. If you don't spend three days in your Bible, what begins to happen? It doesn't go well. What happens? Let's be practical. What happens? Yes, your attitude begins to stink because we begin to be very selfish, self-centered, self-focused. I don't want to be in the Bible. Why don't you want to be in the Bible? Well, and there's a whole list of things, but really it's because I don't want to spend time with God. I don't have time for God today, so I'm not going to spend time with him. He's not that important to me, so I'm not going to give him my time. I mean, we're just going to call it what it is. I mean, that's what it is. That's really what we do. And it's the truth. I mean, I know we're busy. We're all busy. We can use that as an excuse all day long. Guess who else is super busy? Jesus. He was super busy, busy doing what God wanted him to do. And he always made time for God. Even if that meant that he lost some sleep, he always made time for God. And that can be very, very convicting to most of us in this room. All right, go back to, go back to Revelation. We're going to spend the rest of our time here, and I'm going to explain the last three. So Revelation 3. So we need to anoint our eyes with ISAB. The more you read the Bible, the more it helps you to see clearly about what's going on around you. It helps you to call yourself out when you need to be called out. And then the last three, receive, rebuke, and chastening, and zealously repent. Hear the Lord's voice, knock and open the door. And then commune freely and personally with the Lord every day. All right, so all these three really go together. So having biblical faith, doing what God tells you to do, believing the Bible, those are our first three. But then receiving, rebuke, and chastening, and zealously repent. Now what I love about this is it says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I mentioned this last week, and I know it was in passing because we had to close it down real quick and we're getting to that time again. But as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. For God so loved the world. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So who is God going to rebuke? Everybody. And especially those in his family. Especially those that are his children. So as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And then what does it say? Be, what's that word? Zealous, therefore, and repent. Okay, this is us because we are willing to repent. And what I mean by that, and we got winter camp coming up, so this is kind of that whole frame of mind. We are willing to repent at camp shortly after 
Maybe when our life falls apart and we know we're not living right, we're willing to finally admit it and we want to get things right. But to be zealously repenting in our life is a whole different ballgame. If you are going to zealously repent, that means every time God convicts you, you do it. Every time God tells you to change, you change. Every single time because God said it. And you're like, oh, I didn't know. Okay, God, you got it. Got it. I'm going to get it down. Got it. And it's done. It's done. He, doesn't, he never has to bring it back up again. But we don't tend to be that way. We tend to say, well, what can I just get away with? What's the bare minimum that I can do? How far can I get? How close to this line of sin can I possibly travel? And that's not the right frame of mind to be in. It says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Zealously repenting. Not just repenting, but zealously repenting. There's no other time in human history where God tells someone to zealously repent other than Laodicea. The second thing here, look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Okay, so he is standing at the door of the church specifically, devotionally to you individually, and he is knocking. Now, what I want you to see here, and this is something I learned when I wrote this out uh, about a week and a half ago. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, so he's knocking. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. All right. If any man hear my, what is it? Voice. He does not say, if any man hears my knock. God's voice is him knocking. Okay? Very important. God's voice is him knocking. What is God's voice? His word. This is why many churches today are neglecting the teaching and preaching of God's word. This is why many of us neglect the reading, studying, memorizing of God's word. Because if we mute God, we can't hear him knock. And that's why the church is where it is today, where they're celebrating Jesus without him. And he's on the outside knocking because no one's willing to open up the Bible to let him in. That is convicting to me. And we have to be careful. We have to be very, very careful. You hear his voice, his knock, interchangeable, and you open the door. You open the door. You open your Bible, and you actually hear. You open your heart, and you let God actually get to you. It's very important. This is the same problem back in Genesis chapter 4. Um, Cain, remember Cain? You know what God told Cain after Cain sinned and killed his brother? Well, right before he killed his brother. You know what he said? You remember that? He said, you've got a choice to make. You can either continue down the path you're going, and sin lieth at the door. So it's one of two ways. Either sin's lying at your door, or Jesus is there and you're cracking it open. It's very interesting. Look at Genesis 4 later, because that's one of the verses I have for your cross-reference here. It's very interesting. Even in Exodus 12, when they applied the blood, where did they apply the blood for the Passover? On the doorposts. I mean, there's a correlation there. You should study this out. It's pretty interesting. Look at these verses later. And then lastly, commune freely and personally with the Lord every day. Once you let him in, he knocks, you hear his voice, you open that door, he comes in, and you commune freely and personally with him every single day. That there's not an issue that you ever hide from God. That there's never a problem that's, that's too big for you and him to talk about and talk through. 
work through things in the scriptures, trying to understand what should I do, God? How do I handle this? All those sorts of things. He should be your best friend. He should be your absolute best friend that you talk to. And my life can get so busy at times that I don't talk to him as much as I should. And I should because he ought to be my best friend. He should be the one person that I go to more than anybody else on any given day. And that means me praying to him. And that also means me opening up the Bible and hearing what he has to say. Is there anyone in your life that you talk to more than you talk to Jesus? There shouldn't be one. There shouldn't be a single person you talk to more than Jesus on any given day. Because your best friend is the person that you talk to the most, right? It should be, should be the Lord. It should be him. And maybe you're not in a position where you can talk to him. Well, that's a problem. You need to be zealous and repent. So each week what we're going to do is we look at a certain characteristic. We're going to hit all these. How can we buy faith? How can we buy that gold, that faith, that true biblical faith? How can we put on that white raiment? How can we anoint our eyes with eye sap? How can we, how can we do that based on this characteristic? And that'll be our time to really talk about that each week. All right. So next week, we're going to be talking about the second characteristic, and that is God as the authority in our life, especially as the creator. And we're going to get into some evolution and stuff. should be tons of fun. All right. Good deal. All right. We are done. Let's go ahead and pray. We can get out of here. No, I want you to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this day, Lord. Um, just thank you that we get to come to a church that is willing to just preach the truth, and even if we step on people's toes, or it's not politically acceptable, and because that really doesn't matter, Lord. I say so to just hear these things, Lord, and believe them, and do them, and uh, just so we be changed, and that we would zealously repent, and that we would come to you with our problems and with our issues, with our happiness, with our joy, Lord. Not just when we need something from you, but that we bring all aspects of life to you, Lord, that you truly would be our best friend. I ask myself the rest of this night to go well, and that everybody would continue to enjoy break, that um, they'd still be looking for opportunities through break, whether they're out shopping at the mall or just hanging out with family members, Lord, that somehow they could start a spiritual conversation and uh, possibly meet somebody to the Lord. Lead somebody to the Lord, Lord. Okay. And I just want to ask myself the rest of the day to go well. Amen.